please open your copies of God's Word to Psalm 19. To Psalm 19. Psalm 19, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all of the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Now, we finished last week our examination of the book of Ephesians, and that was the second part of a two-part examination of, a, of, a, an, uh, of a, an overview, an overview of, of the chapters, the portions, the parts, the themes, the doctrines that we've been looking at in the last two and a half years. And, and I said then, you know, it's nice to not just get into the, into the weeds and into the difficulties to begin with, but let's just get straight into the, the verses with a, a little bit of an introduction and then keep that for the end. And I think that that worked well. It reminded me as I was going through it uh, and rereading the whole of Ephesians, trying to understand what were those things that were coming up, that for me it was in some ways a sort of a, summer, a summary of what we'd already been studying. Of course, many details had been lost in the course of that time, but sort of it was a, a it was a literally a revision. It was a looking back again and seeing again, without too much detail, but at least the large picture of the the whole message and the messages contained therein that the Holy Ghost would have us understand of the Lord Jesus Christ and His work and all these other matters that are linked with that in Ephesians. And so here's the great contradiction, of course, is 
is now I'd like to do an about-face. And while we're starting the Book of Psalms, I'd like to start with an introductory uh, note and, and, and examine what the structure is, that the reason is it's, it's far more than just six chapters. It's 150 chapters, 150 psalms. It's a large book. Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily complicated, but it is complex. It has relationships, it has parts, it has all sorts of titles, it has many, many pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ in it. And so it, I think it's, it, it's good to give some sort of overview before we dive in. There are many things in there that we won't even touch on tonight. Um, the titles, for example, of the various uh, songs, the various psalms have some intricacies in there. We won't be going into those until we get to that, that psalm or those psalms that share those, those titles. But I thought it would be good in any case, as the Lord's pleased to help, to examine something of the book of Psalms before, with the Lord's help, we, we dive into Psalm number one next week, all being well. So firstly, as we come to the book of Psalms, this large book, pretty well at the center of the, of the book, once we have the 27 books of the New Testament joined on, we sort of, you know, if we have no commentaries and have no, uh, have no uh, reference work at the back, then we can see it's almost exactly halfway that we have the book of Psalms. But it is a, it is a large book, a very large book, and if we take each song to be a chapter, it's the largest book. Um, 150 chapters, there's no other no other book in the Bible that has that many chapters, some very big and some very small. Now, there are, considering firstly the book's names, the names of the book that we're looking at this evening, and there are many ways to describe it, and some of them, and many of them are, are perfectly acceptable, but I would like just to look at the names that the Scriptures itself uses to describe this, this work, this book uh, of Psalms. Now, the Old Testament names, to begin with, uh, the Bible's own, own hymn book, as it were, is called the hymn book. That is the, that is the original Hebrew title, Hasefer Tehillim, means the book of hymns. The book of Sims and a, and a, and a Tehillah is a, is a song of thanksgiving, it's a song of praise, it's a, a song of giving glory. Um, that's what the Tehillah means, and it translates very well into the, the Greek word hymn that we would see elsewhere in the New Testament. Although, interestingly enough, even though it's called the book of, of hymns, of these Jewish hymns, there's only one psalm that actually has that in its title, Psalm 145 has that, and that's called David's Psalm of Praise. So it's, it's Psalm of Praise is, is there translating what the Tehillah is, and that's a good translation, of course. Psalm 100 also uses the word uh, a hymn. Um, to translate a different word in the Hebrew, but so it's it's not that same word, um, but it's related. But even tehelim or the hymns do not describe the rich depth of the psalms because the psalms aren't all hymnic. They're not all praise songs. There's plenty of praise in there, but by far we have more didactic hymns, hymns that or didactic songs that that are, that are psalms that are teaching us. Uh, so much about God's ways with his people, personally, as a nation, in the future, and all these other matters that, God willing, we will look at. And there are many, many laments in the Psalms, many, many songs of woe and grief and trouble 
and pouring out of heart to God. I would say those two together, the didactic and the lament, are more than the, the praise and the hymns. And yet the, it pleased the, the Jewish writers to call it, and of course the, the Lord himself to call it the book of hymns, the hymn book. You know, the, the hymn book. It's also called a book of prayers. You might think, well, I've rec- maybe you recognize that. There's one or two psalms that will have that, a prayer, a, a psalm of this, and it is a michtam, it is a, a prayer of David or something. And that is uh, a title, the prayers of David is another title that's given to, uh, to the hymn book. Um, in Psalm 72 and verse 20, and we're coming to the end of a section. We'll touch upon this when we look at the five sections in the psalm book. It says, The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Again, the prayers of David. So saying that the psalms, although they're full of lament, and many laments are prayers to God, and songs of praise also could be understood as prayers to God because they're directed towards the Lord. And of course, there are many petitions in, in, those, in those matters. So it's the hymns, the hymn book. It's a prayer book, but it's also called David. <laughs> Merely the name David is, is used, although this really belongs to the New Testament, so I'll come back to that one. Uh, Songs of Zion. Songs of Zion is an Old Testament name that is used, if you know, from Psalm 137 and verse 3. And it says, for there, for there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they said, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Now you could say, well, it's, isn't that the words that the Babylonians used? Yeah, but it's not disputed, it's not corrected, it's not despised. But it's interesting, it's called one of the songs of Zion, the songs that are used to be sung on top of the Mount of Zion, where the temple was. Temple songs, you could say, but it says the songs of Zion. And really, that expression really points to the author. Although we're going to look at many of the human authors, it points to the ultimate divine author who sits on the heavenly uh, throne, on heavenly Zion. But there are also New Testament names, and the one I was about to mention was David. Not even the book of David, but just David. Hebrews 4 and verse 7 uses this title. He says, Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. So he's referring back uh, to that particular psalm. And although you could say, well, saying in David, he could be talking of the inspiration of the Holy Ghost through David as a prophet, that is possible, but he does says in, in David, in, in the words of David, in the book of David, in the Psalms of David. So saying in David, and we know that even outside the Bible, it's very often called the Psalms of David, even though he only authored half of all the Psalms. So it's, it's called David in the New Testament, but then we have the word Psalms. Of course, Psalm is a, is a Greek word, the book of Psalms, or the Psalms. And that word itself, psalm, it goes back to a word which, go, which comes from the idea of plucking a harp. The plucking, a song that you would sing to the plucking of a harp. Very reminiscent, of course, to David, the shepherd boy, uh, sitting there with his harp and looking after the sheep and, and composing 
uh, by divine inspiration, these various uh, songs, these various psalms. Of course, it does not mean that we're only to sing the psalms to a harp. We're not to, not to limit the understanding of what psalm means. It's just a, a word that originally means that. It's the same as if we were to say an orchestra. We, we think of an orchestra, we think of a place in front of a stage, and that's where all the musicians stand uh, or sit, and they play their instruments. But that's not what an orchestra was. An orchestra was the dance pit where the dancers would stand. So, you know, if you're going to have an orchestra, it doesn't mean you're going to necessarily have to dance. You know, the, the origin of a word does not determine the full meaning of it, especially not in the scriptures. And that's something we always got to be careful of, is looking at the etymology of a word and then building up a theology from that etymology. Christians have have tripped over themselves many times in doing that. No, how does the Holy Spirit use that word and in what context? And that word psalm is used nine times in, in the New Testament in various contexts. We're not going to open all of that now. But then we also have a phrase called spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. Literally, that word uh, that's used for the word spiritual does not mean some sort of vague human emotion in any way. The, I believe the four times it's used in the New Testament, the six times it's used in the New Testament, uh, the four times it always refers to the work and the activity of the Holy Ghost. And there are two other times, I believe, where it's used, and it's always used with the word unclean. So it's therefore referring to an unclean spirit, or the unclean spiritual, and speaking of the devil and the demons, of course. But this word, spiritual songs, then, pointing to the author of these songs. And then hymns, that Greek word, uh, which we've already used to translate tahila, um, is, is a very broad Greek term, very, very broad. It's a, it's a word that refers to any song in a religious context. So it's not even so necessarily as, as fine and detailed as saying only praise. It's just a song that would be used in the pagan Greek world. The word that you come across in, in Homer, uh, used uh, with the word for song, which is what we get the word ode from. So it's a very, very common um, Greek word and it's been used and applied by the Holy Ghost uh, for these matters in the New Testament. Now, the word hymn itself is used four times in the Scriptures, uh, two times to refer to the same incident, once in Mark, once in Matthew, but it's the same uh, aspect of when, the, when Christ and the disciples have finished their Passover meal, and then they sang a hymn. We'll get into those details when we get to, uh, God willing, to Psalms 113 and 118. That, that selection is called the Hallels, the Hallel Psalms, and they were sang at the Passover. So again, it's talking about those praise psalms that were sung then. And, and the phrase is also used uh, once in Ephesians and once in Colossians. Ephesians 5 and verse 19 has, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and then we have it uh, used again in Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in or with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So we have that phrase there that picks up those words that we've already seen. Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. 
And, and that trilogy means what? Well, it means, it means that the church is to sing all the psalms. Does it mean that this church is only to sing the psalms? Not in these verses. But it's certainly saying that the, the church is not to forget them. And it is to sing them. It's to sing the difficult ones. Psalm 94. Not just Psalm 23 and Psalm 100 and Psalm 124 and maybe Psalm 150. But also to sing those, those difficult ones, those, those more that are lamenting psalms. Those, those psalms that, that call out of, to God uh, to take, re- take revenge, as it were, divine revenge upon the enemies of God's people. Things which are difficult, deep and sometimes quite raw. But the church is to sing them and be confronted with them and to realize that even in these terrible things that we're singing about, uh, that God is righteous and good in all these things. Even Psalm 100, is it 137, so we, we've already mentioned the, the, the verse 3 and it talks about um, the uh, hanging up of the, of the harps on the willows of, of Babylon. But then at the very last verse speaks about, blessed be the man that crushes the heads of the babies, of the infants, of these Babylonian godless. I mean, we find that very difficult to read and even to sing, but when we understand from the previous verses, it's exactly what the Babylonians had just done to the people of God. So they're saying, you know, the Lord, you know, may that man be blessed who would, who would do to them what they've already done to us. So there are difficult things in there, but the Lord wants us to sing them. The Lord is not looking for superficial relationships with his people. He wants deep uh, understanding, even of his, for us, difficult side. Uh, But then it is not, of course, because God is light and in him there is no shadow. It's all light, it's all good. So anyway, so this trilogy of names is this psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's not referring to anything outside of the scriptures at all. It's only referring to the scriptures. The Lord only ever refers us to the scriptures. And so some may say, well, does that mean it just means psalms, psalms, psalms? And the answer is yes. That's exactly what it means. It means all the psalms. And it's very biblical language to explain the wholeness or the fullness of something or someone. But we have different expressions for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, 1 John 5 and verse 7 um, speaks in a, in a similar vein, giving us the name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And what's that saying? Well, that's just saying the whole of the Godhead. God, God, God. Um, if we think of the very common phrase, iniquity, transgression, and sins, is speaking about the fullness of our wickedness and guilt. So, yes, sin, sin, sin. And again, another, another famous, oh, famous, another well-known from the Scriptures trilogy would be law, prophets, and psalms. In fact, we're going to refer to that uh, from Luke's um, Gospel as we move on in our introduction to the Psalms. But again, so what does that mean? It means the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And there are a number of others as well, the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, uh, something we've had hinted at in Psalm 19. It's repeated consistently in Psalm 119. And that all that means is the law, the law, the law. So it's very common language to understand where where things are repeated in that way that the Lord is describing the fullness of something. But interestingly, in in Colossians 3.16, which we just read, uh, the Bible gave us another name for the book of Psalms. 
I'll just read that again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And what is that phrase? It was at the very beginning there. It was calling the psalms the word of Christ. The word of Christ. And that brings us not only to the divine author who is the spirit of Christ, but also that Christ is to be found in all the Psalms. In fact, the whole thing about the Psalms is it's, it's, it's so Christocentric. It's so, it points to Christ in so many different ways. And I'll give a number of examples now, and, and we'll see it as we go through them. Christ is seen as the perfect example. Blessed is the man that walketh not in, etc., in Psalm number 1. He is the perfect example. He is also the promised Messiah. He is the suffering saint that's in the Scriptures. He is even the sinning saint that we see in the Scriptures because his union, his identification and his union with his own people is so tight that, 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 that you can see that. The failings are put onto his name. Our sins are put to his account. He's also uh, revealed in the in the Psalms as Jehovah himself. He's also represented by David when David's clearly talking in a Psalm of David, not only in the suffering and the sinning, which we do see in, 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 in David's own Psalms, but also as a, as a king and as a praying king. He's also as the Lord of deliverance, as in many times in the Psalms, he brings back um, to our remembrance the great work of deliverance of freeing an entire people from bondage in Egypt. And so that comes back uh, more than once in the Psalms itself. But also we see Christ as the leader of worship, that he leads worship. In fact, in Psalm 22, we see Christ in, in a number of different ways, not just him hanging on the cross uh, but also we see him um, as leading the worship and, and, should we say, earning and giving out the promises of God to his people. So, Lord willing, as we're examining these psalms, we will mine them to see, see, the full, see as much of Christ as we can see in them. Because it is, the book of Psalms is all about Jesus Christ, ultimately. So the book's position, secondly, very, very briefly, where, where does the book sit in the canon? Well, I just said it's sort of like halfway in the Bible, that we know it's after Esther and Job, and then we have a number of these other wisdom books, these holy writings afterwards. And that's where we have it, just before the prophets. So just before the major prophets and the minor prophets, we have, as I said, Psalms and, and Proverbs. Ecclesiastes and, and those wisdom literature, those holy writings, which is different from the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible has, has the law, the Torah, as its first section. I should do it that way because they read from right to left, but it might confuse you. But, so the first section, so we say, is the Torah, and then the second section is the Nevaim, that is the prophets. And the prophets would include the writings of Samuel and therefore kings. And we think that's history, but they would include that in prophets. Chronicles, on the other hand, is the last two books, or one book if you want to join it together, which I believe they did. And that would be in the third section called the Ketuvim, the writings, the, 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 the sacred writings. And if you've heard this word before, the hagiography, the, the sacred writings, that's the third section. That's how they had those third sections. And it seems that, the, well, it doesn't seem anything. We know that the Psalms were part of that last section. 
part of that ketuvim. And depending upon which manuscript, uh, whereabouts you got that Jewish Bible from, was it was it from was it from the Babylonian Jews or was it from the uh, was it from the Syrian Jews or whatever it was? There were slightly different orders. But without going into too much unneeded detail, quite often Psalms was the first of that book. The Psalms was the first of that book. And so we will get uh, phrases, and we get this from the Lord Jesus Christ. When he speaks in Luke 24 and verse 44, uh, I'll read the whole verse, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you when I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. So he's taking the first section of each of those sections as they would have done. So the first books of the, of the Torah were the books of Moses, and then we had, have, you have Joshua and, and you move on. But it's the book of Moses, the law of Moses, and then the prophets, all the prophets, major and minor, and then the Psalms, which then include uh, those other uh, writings that we have in the middle of the book, but it would also include Esther and Ruth and Chronicles. And so when the Lord says in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he's saying the whole of the Scriptures... All the 39 books of the Old Testament, and we would add on to the 27, and there are scriptures uh, which help us to understand that even the scriptures say that these are scriptures as well. But we're not going to go into that now. We also have those titles, and there is much to be said about each of those titles. You know, the Maschil, the Michtam, the Negenoth, the Shemenith, and all these other... Uh, uh, and for many, for, for, for a lot of people, still obscure words. You look in a, a Bible dictionary, you might get five different definitions, because they're not too sure of it, it either. But I always think that these are songs. These are songs. And if there's a, if there's a meaning to that word that points to music, and how a musician would understand it... That's how you should understand it. So if you Shemaneeth is, is the word for seventh or seven, uh, as if you're a musician, then you'll understand that, you know, sevenths pointing to octaves. I know that's from the word eight, but if you're a musician, you know that, that's an octave. So it's, saying it's to be sung upon an octave, or there is to be an octave uh, harmony sung with the, main, uh, with the main melody itself. So it's going to have a musical meaning to it, and I, th- I think that's... Patently, obvi- patently obvious, uh, but that's just, that's just my idea. So we're not going to go into those uh, now because there's many and varied uh, things in there. But the third section I want to look at, and we're running a bit late, so that's why it looks as though we're running later than we usually are. The human authors of the Psalms. The human authors. And so we see, um, attributed to them in the psalm titles, we see, actually in the book of Psalms, we see 73 ascribed to David. And yet there are 75 in total that are clearly from David. And that's because Psalm 2 is attributed to him in Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 25. And Psalm 95, uh, we've, which we've already read out, was, was saying in David, that was that, uh, that verse pointing to the fact that it's David. Again, it might be suggesting that it's just the book of David, um, but I think the commentators agree that this is possibly, the, that the 75 were actually written by David, and I have all the numbers written down here of which Psalms were which, but I won't bore you with that now. Twelve were written uh, by Asaph, uh, who was alive and working in the temple, 
uh, at the t um, sorry in the tabernacle at the time of David. And I can't remember, it, but it may be that he lived on into the time of Solomon and therefore was at work in the temple as well. But he's certainly in the time of David. And then we have the 11 sons, 11, <laughs> 11 sons, 11 psalms are written by the sons of Korah. We've got tr it's a tricky thing. Hebrew has a little tiny particle, a little word, uh, word le, le and, and not to do with the French. But that little word le can mean for, to, or even of. So sometimes when you read, uh, as we will do, that two psalms are, are written Solomon. Le Solomon. And is that for Solomon? Is that by Solomon? That's uh, not always easy in the Hebrew. So we do have 11 that we understand to be written by the sons of Korah. Uh, two connected with Solomon, probably written by him. We know elsewhere in the scriptures that he did write songs, he did write proverbs, he did write psalms. There's a man called Haman, or Heman, the Ezraite, and another Ezraite called Ethan, and they both compose one psalm that's taken up. And probably the oldest psalm at all, of all is Psalm 90, and that was written by Moses. So one by the, Moses, the man of God. And it is possible that 91 was by Moses as well, but it's not ascribed to him. Uh, and that and all the others that have no author or authorship suggested or clearly said is one of these 47 unnamed, or as some people call them, orphan psalms. Or I don't like that word, but anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a known expression. But there are 47 that are unnamed, and if you add that up carefully, you will get 150. Just a little bit of trivia for you. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in their book of Psalms, there are 151. So, um, but we only have the 150 of the Masoretic text of the Jewish Hebrew text. And fourthly, and this is the final part that we're going to look at now, is the structure of the book. How it is structured. So we have these 150, and there is some slight difference in the numbering uh, from the Greek the way the Greek uh, translated it, um, and therefore how the Latin had it, because the Latin was originally just a translation of the Greek, and so there are slightly differences in, in numbering. Sometimes a, a psalm is split in two, and then we have a difference in, in, in the text. But that sort of minutiae, that sort of detail, we're not going to touch now. Just to say that it has been traditionally divided into five sections the whole of the 150. So when the 150 were, were completed, they were split into five sections. And at the end of each of those five sections, there are similar doxologies that finish them off. So we have book one, is Psalms 1 to 41. And that finishes with the last verse of Psalm 41. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and Amen. And then book two is Psalm 42 to 72. And it's, it finishes uh, in verse 19 of Psalm 72. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Then book three is Psalm 73 to 89. So again, a smaller section. Um, and that is, finishes with the last verse of Psalm 89. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. And then book four is Psalms 90 to 106. So just, just um, 
16, 17 psalms there. And the last verse of that psalm is, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, praise ye the Lord, which of course in the Hebrew is hallelujah. And then the last book is it's quite a large section, and that is Psalms 107 to 150. Now, at the end of 150, there's not a specific doxology because it is generally agreed and recognized that Psalm 150 itself is the doxology. It is the doxology for the end of that book five, part five of, of the Psalms, but it is also a doxology to close off the whole of the book of Psalms. But what is interesting is at the end of book two, and I've already mentioned it, at the end of Psalm 72, and it has that doxology that finishes with Amen and Amen. We then have that extra verse added, which we've already referred to, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So there seems to be the, the, the finishing of, a, of, of an earlier version. And maybe that was the earliest compilation that they had. Versus, uh, so the first two books uh, of the whole of the five books were the ones that were composed and finished being composed and maybe edited uh, at that time uh, by whoever came after uh, David. So David edited the first book and then his, and I've actually got it written down who they believe edited his or compiled it, uh, probably Korah did the compilation of that. And so that's very interesting to see that even you see some of the build-up there, that there is a section, and then we'll move on. And I don't think I've even mentioned it here, have I? Yeah, we will look at that. Very briefly then, we see a, a chronology and a build-up of a thousand years of history. So from, if we go from the 1400s to the 400s. So from when Moses composed uh, Psalm 90... Um, and it was put later on, obviously, in that position of 90. David didn't exist, and, uh, and, and the other main authors did not exist at that time, but it was, it was put there by the Holy Ghost, who superintends all matters of the Scriptures. But we have that all the way to the return from the captivity. Uh, we have that uh, large section. Of course, Psalm 137, as we're talking, it was written in the captivity. But there have been many different attempts at giving themes to these five books, and the more I've been reading into it, you can see there are so many different ideas of, of, of linking, uh, linking um, the book of Psalms or the books, the five books with other books. And one of the, a common one I've seen is linking uh, each of those five sections with one of the books of Moses. Uh, and it has something to it. In other words, that first section, uh, uh, Psalms 1 to 41, I think it was, um, that first group is related to uh, Genesis and something to do with humanity. There's a lot of sort of humanity in there. I'm a bit on the vague side, but I'm just going to share it with you. And the next section is, is compared to Exodus, and there's a great emphasis on deliverance in that next section. And then we have uh, the next section, the next book, uh, of the five is, is speaks of sanctity or the sanctuary, and that's related to Leviticus, which of course is that's it's all to do with the Levitical work, the sanctuary, of course. And then we move on to uh, sovereignty, so that would be uh, Psalms 90 to 106 is book four, sovereignty, and taking that from Numbers, then so yeah, the sovereignty of God in maintaining his people and. 
And then the last one does link better, um, and that's taking from Deuteronomy, and that's about revelation or about the Word of God, and that's very true. Uh, Deuteronomy, all the, the giving of the law for a second time, and all the sermons, the preaching, and the application, um, and then the blessings and the curses as well, which are set up for when Joshua does that with the people. But these structural helps are not infallible, but they can be interesting, they can be helpful in some way. But what we do see when we look at these various sections is we have an idea of who the main author is. There is a main author in that first book, differing from the second or the third. So David is the main author uh, in that book one, and we see the composition date for that would be the time of David, so say 1020 BC to 970 uh, BC. And we could even say there are compilers that we, that we think we understand from other parts of the scriptures that they have been active and putting things together. It's amazing how much, as you're diving into the Psalms and seeing related verses, how much information there actually is. So we could carry on with, with more evenings of introductions, but that would be too much, even for the most academic or saintly of us. But book two's main author is shared between David and Korah. Book three's main author is, is Asaph. Um, and then book four, the main author is, well, an awful lot of anonymous ones. There are um, two by David. There's one by Moses. We've already mentioned that one particular one. Um, and then we have the last book. Again, the main author, not the only author, but the main author, again, is David again. And, and, that, and that's... But that, that includes late compositions as well. So as if other compositions of David, other Psalms have been found, and again they suggest that the compilers might be Ezra and Nehemiah, have been found and have been added in um, into that last book, uh, including those songs that were written in captivity. Now some have said that the, the key verse of the whole Psalms is Psalm 19 verse 14, which is why we read the Psalm. And that 14, uh, verse 14, the last verse says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I'm not too sure. I would say that that is the key verse. It is, it is a key verse. But I think that's written in the, con or that's been suggested in the context uh, that these are to be sung. These are to be sung, and therefore the words of my mouth will be found acceptable in thy sight, because it's an infallible song. So that's the, the only connection that I can see when I've read this in the commentaries about it being the key verse. And we should not forget, they are songs, um, but not just songs. They are inspired songs, prophetic songs, songs of great comfort. They have been the favorite of, of, of the believer for centuries. Uh, even as they're being written, even as they're being written, they're giving comfort to Asaph, they're giving, be, giving comfort to David. So from the very moment of composition, they're doing the work that the Lord has made them for. And even the rebuke that's in them is there, it's fresh, and it's, and it's there, and it's, it's one of the... It's not the only place, but often when, when I'm on visitation, one of the places I'll open up very quickly is the Psalms. The Psalms speak to us in a way uh, that other parts of scriptures don't always uh, do so because they're so, let's use the word, experiential. 
full of Christian experience. But I think we should use the New Testament light of what Christ said, because this is really going to be my focus as the Lord is pleased to help, is, is John 5 and verse 39, where he says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And so that is going to be our endeavour, as the Lord is pleased to bless it, to find Christ in every psalm. And may the Lord bless his word to us even this evening.